What is up, friends and family? This is another episode of Hype is My Superpower. I am one of your hypesters. My name is Steve Storman. I am in Brooklyn, New York. Hypesters not working for you well. <laughs> it it just came, it just it just fell right off the top of my brain. I was like, oh, that's that's our thing, huh? All right. No. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the other co-host of the show, apparently not a hypester, Will Freeland, coming from Santa Barbara, California. Will, how you doing? Hello, doing pretty good, man. Excited to talk Marvel. Me too. Me too. Glad to hear it. We uh, have an actual agenda for this show today. Instead of talking aimlessly about what we've read recently, uh, we're going to mix it up a little bit. We'll still talk aimlessly about what we've read recently, but we're going to do that in the middle of the show. Uh, Before that, we are going to dive deep on something we both read and, uh, you know, a recommendation, a storyline, a crossover. It's going to be hopefully a, a... a regular segment and then to end the show off we're going to look back a little bit and talk about how you know how we both became fans of comics our, our journey into comics as it were a little bit will why don't you uh why don't you introduce what we are talking about for the, for this first segment what what did we what did we decide to recommend and show off oh man okay so i'm going to pre-preface this with that <laughs> John Hickman is one of the greatest writers Marvel has seen in quite some time. And oh, you guys uh, are you guys are nickname basis now. He's he's John. He's John Hickman. He's not Jonathan. All right, only only the true fans get to call him John. <laughs> um, so he had an amazing run with Fantastic Four and Avengers, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. he did two insane crossovers. I will talk about at some point in the future. Mm-hmm. But his run on Fantastic Four is what got me to keep an eye out for anything he did. And then... And then you never read his indies. I have his indies. I just haven't read them. Uh He he has received my money and my patronage. (laughs) (laughs) It's good stuff, man. I started Manhattan Projects. Manhattan Projects. But anyway, uh, (laughs) Marvel was like, hey, thanks for... um, turning all of marvel on its head for a little bit that was wild and then thanks for helping us with our multiverse situation that was wild (laughs) um which if you remember on the first time we randomly recorded ourselves talking i predicted that that would happen and it did and and, and i felt so good about it but anyway point is marvel was like hey what what have you got for the x-men and he was like oh what have i got (laughs) um yeah he was saying that X-Men was his first love, right? Like this was the one that mm-hmm. he wanted to to write all yeah. along. He did House of X and Powers of X. Or Powers of 10 is mm-hmm. I think right. technically. Yes. Um and there's a handful of other X's as uh time has gone on. But uh after X-Men disassembled, which very much like Avengers disassembled, um was kind of like Okay, no more teams are here. Um, all the bi- all the major uh, game changers are off the board. What do you want to do now? In direct comparison, Avengers after Avengers disassembled, Avengers didn't come back for a couple years until New Avengers, um, but they went straight into the New X stuff. Yeah, and it was disassembled. A, a real opportunity to introduce a, a wildly different status quo. Yeah. And so, and that's what, and Hickman, the reason why I like Hickman so much is he doesn't forget the history of all the characters that he's given the reins of. And he also, within the limitations that have been established, establishes new continuities, new ways to uh, use these powers or abilities. Mm He, he, finds new applications for existing characters and abilities he it's it's mind-blowing what he decided to do with house of x and powers of 10 yeah i i am also a huge fan of of jonathan hickman's writing i find it um one of the most compelling uh elements of it is that it it always feels like he knows what he's doing right it everything is is He's a real like master planner. You know, you, you can see 
what was it? There's the composition notebook of his outline for for his Fantastic Four run. Did I ever show you that? Yes. And, yeah. yeah. It's and like it's just 15 feet long. <laughs> yeah. It's just this insanely detailed, like point by point, every character, you know, arc, every beat planned out before he starts. And so uh, it really, you, you get, you know, it allows him to slow roll certain mysteries, fast roll certain mysteries, you know, some things happen insanely quickly and it's like, Oh, uh, Bobby DaCosta just bought aim. Cool. Okay. That's different. <laughs> he did it one panel. Fine. Whatever we needed. Yeah. It needed to happen. It needed to move. Uh, the other thing that I love about Hickman is he, he gets the big moments so well and he gets the small moments so well. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it feels kind of disorienting because he completely disregards the middle. Like he does, <laughs> you yeah. know. There's, there's, there's no like predictable sense of like rising action, uh, or you know, um, a, a lot of, a lot of just sort of like predictable beats for for when you read a comic or a genre fiction or or anything like that, kind of don't really show up. Uh, and it, it can feel kind of cold and disorienting. I remember, um, Will, your comments about the first time when you started with his Fantastic Four run, right? And, uh, your, your local comic shop guy, John, rest in pre- rest in peace, Avalon Comics. Uh, oh. John was saying to you every week, like, just stick with it. Just stick with it. <laughs> yeah. And you weren't yeah. sure, right? I was ready to drop it. I don't drop Marvel Comics. Uh, but uh, yeah, Volume 1 was really well told and self-contained. Volume 2 told a completely different story, unrelated to Volume 1, but the numbers kept going. And <laughs> that was weird. And then Volume 3 was equally disjointed and unrelated. And I was like, I don't care about these. They, he expanded the Inhumans family um, right. to like seven different strains of inhumans that's another that's another common hickman trope is like oh (sighs) this thing that you thought was this way yeah it's actually seven times as crazy right and so and they just felt so unrelated and disjointed and i and i was telling john i was like i don't this is weird (laughs) (laughs) i'm throwing in the towel he's like no it's one more book one more book and then fantastic four volume four pulled every single page from the first 16 issues all together and they all made sense and it was one giant puzzle and it was the greatest freaking volume yeah he'll just sprinkle a little bit of mystery here sprinkle a little bit of you know plot and world building there and then once it starts to come together it's just panel after panel of mind fuck in the best way so good so good Oh Lord! And anyway, so yeah, the way the way Hickman writes, especially in this um, in the in his X Men run so far, uh, he's very dialogue minimal. Yes, um, he he very much wants to tell his stories through his through the art. Yeah, and um, he puts very little dialogue and very little like text. You know, the first two pages. Of I was just gonna say, yeah, Powers of X, oh, House of X. It's just one speech bubble two pages of art yeah and and four four words in that in yeah. that spe- in that uh speech balloon and it's it's insane and it, and it's and it's so disorienting too because it's it's you know this giant alienish looking landscape and is that a tree and then uh what appears to be cyclops pops out of an egg and then uh this you know, shadowy unknown figure with a, a giant uh, helmet. You'll later learn it's Cerebro. And and the, the figure says, to me, my X-Men, which is obviously uh, Charles Xavier's, uh, one of his catchphrases. So this is, you know, you're like, is that is that Xavier? Like, what's going on? It's just all of the mystery. And you you learn what's going on there by the end of it, obviously. It just exemplifies how much he knows where this is going from the start and how much you have to just sort of surrender and trust and follow. 
because everything's a mystery, right? Like, so we can get into the plot a little bit, basically. Um, and this is setting up a status quo for the X-Men and, and setting up uh, on one hand, it's setting up a status quo, but on the other, it's setting up a sense of scale menace purpose, uh, which the two are kind of divided equally between house of X and, and powers of X uh, respectively where um, house of X kind of details the, um, uh, the creation of the new mutant home. Um, what would you even call it? Island, but also multi-planar um, domain. Base. <laughs> base. Let's For go with base. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Krakoa, which was originally uh, an, an entire island that was a mutant, which was the first mission of, um, of the 70s X-Men. Yeah, they, they, they live there now. And it's gotten weird. And they've developed a bunch of drugs that uh, they have bartered with the human community in exchange for essentially independence. And so House of X is the, the sort of nation building side of it. And then Powers of Ten um, looks back and looks forward again in Powers of Ten uh, amounts of years from when Professor Xavier first had his dream of human mutant coexistence and crucially, not just Xavier, but Moira McTaggart too. It's been really interesting. We'll, we'll get to Moira a little bit more in a sec. Maybe we'll get to her right away. I don't know. But um, while I've been doing my reread of eighties and nineties X-Men before Moira apparently faked her death of the legacy virus, um, you know, obviously that wasn't ever intended back then, but there are a lot of panels that read a little bit different uh, once you know <laughs> who Moira is in the uh, the House of X Powers of Ten status quo. And that is very exciting. And, and I'm sure uh, <clears throat> I'll go through some of those at some point because I, I've been sending them to Will as I've been doing my reread. And it's some pretty spooky stuff. Anyway, yeah, Will, what, what else strikes you about House of X Powers of Ten? So, what I really, what I always go back to is like the uh, they've established like a council mm. um, mm-hmm. on their uh, mutant island nation living island of Krakoa, <laughs> um, <laughs> and uh, they do this sort of. It's, it feels a little jarring when you see, like, one of the members of this table, of this council is, um, like, Apocalypse. Yeah, yeah. It's and, not just, you know, the friendly good mutants. This is yeah. representative of all mutant kind, you know. Yeah. So And so that's kind of, like, their, their goal is this council of, I think it's 12. They all represent not just the best of the best, but also, like, the faces of every area mm-hmm. of mutant dumb magneto who has had stints of being an x-man over the years mm-hmm. um adult apocalypse who's never been an x-man um <laughs> but he represents a perspective of mutant kind being the first mutant chronologically uh xavier's on on the council and then you have um members of the hellfire club and then, and then you have like your typical X Men leaders. You have like Marvel Girl and Storm, and mm-hmm. um, I appreciate it because they enforce diplomatic conversation. Um, they're like, "Hey, we have this uh, situation. How are we going to deal with it?" And it's 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 never about like the powers. Who has the flashiest? Mm. Um, you know, who's the most powerful in the room? Who can flex their muscles harder? Right. It's, it's everything is everything is addressed and talked out there's there's a tone of like omniscience that hickman always puts behind his characters yeah um where like they always speak their mind but they're never telling everything Mm -hmm. absolutely (laughs) Um, and seeing that in legitimately just casual conversation (laughs) is just so interesting oh sinister is on this council like 
Right. They just have it's it's it it is the motley crew, the who's who of the X Men history, and it's just I love it so much. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, yeah. That and then like the five, which we can talk about a little bit. Mm-hmm. There's there's so much. We can't spend a part of an episode talking about House of X and Powers of X, but um, I hope we, we can, can do touch. I, I hope that we can touch on enough that people will want to go and read it. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, I mean, I don't think our job is to recap everything necessarily, yeah. but you know. Um, so yeah, uh, some of the other, so we've talked a little bit more about the House of X side, which is sort of the, you know, the more present day story. Um, I also loved Powers of Ten uh, because it it's kind of playing off one of my biggest pet theories about how the X-Men works as a story, which is the X-Men's greatest villain isn't Magneto or Apocalypse or Cassandra Nova or any of these others. The X-Men's biggest villain is the future and specifically a future in which the dream of peaceful coexistence between humans and mutants doesn't succeed. Mm -hmm. And, um, because essentially they're unlike any other superheroes, they're a utopian project, you know, they're built on an ideal, uh, that they're striving towards rather than reacting against. And so in powers of 10, you see Xavier as, as a young man first coming up with this dream and how it's molded and shaped by Moira McTaggart, who has lived and died several times. It turns out she was a mutant all along. (laughs) (laughs) One of those little uh, curveballs that Hickman loves to throw at established continuity to just mess with it a little bit. Just, just, yeah. Mm -hmm. So, uh, and then on the other hand, you've got views into what a thousand, 10,000 years in the future. And in which, you know, you get a lot of just real mind-blowing cosmic scale views of the stakes of human and mutant conflict. And it essentially becomes a conflict over uh, mutants represent life and the humans with their reliance on sentinels and specifically the Nimrod and phalanx programs, they represent machine and uh, essentially the uh, biology and the powers of nature and through that passion and emotion and, and uh, essentially human uh, mutants become the um, inheritors of humanity in a very real way while the humans basically get abstracted away into intelligent machines. I, I eat that shit up. Uh, <laughs> I'm all about it. It's great. Uh, and, and so the, the stakes of this conflict become just insanely epic in scope because you're talking about, you know, the, the future of, of life and art and beauty in, in the world. It's so well thought out. It does. And that's the other thing is like, I don't know. It makes me feel like Hickman's been wanting to tell this story for years. Mm -hmm. Like the, the level of convolutedness that he brought literally a month after disassembled it's just like oh well, <laughs> oh you 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 just needed this to happen yeah <laughs> well i have to imagine that they knew that hickman was doing this for a while and and whoever i think it was matthew rosenberg who was given the keys to disassembled who i like as a writer i liked uh some of his early indie stuff um I haven't really kept up with him in recent years, but I met him once at WonderCon and wouldn't leave his table uh, while he was trying to do an interview. Uh, seemed like a really nice guy. Uh, but anyway, um, yeah, he, uh, it, it seems like he really got the, you know, the assignment from editorial, like just screw it up. <laughs> just, just go and, and make shit happen. And, uh, you know, leave, uh, leave a nice big clean slate for Hickman to just absolutely take it in a new direction. Mm-hmm. But anyway, uh, yeah, sorry. it's kind of fun. So like, I have such a tough time. Like, if people ask me, like, what should I read for like X Men? 
Mm-hmm. Uh, in my head now, there's pre X and post X. Absolutely. <laughs> so yeah. it's like, do I want them to go and read, you know, amazing runs like uh, Wolverine Origins or mm. X Factor, mm. or do I want them to just sit down with House of X? To- powers of 10 and just go from there yeah for sure (laughs) uh anyway uh so a couple more things that um i wanted to talk about one um just the way that um uh house of x ends which is kind of where it begins what what leads to the um so it turned they're they're establishing throughout house of x the house of x side of this book and should say that this was originally uh, released as uh, six in- issues each of two different titles, and they are uh, placed uh, interspersed within the the collected edition here. So you you read one issue of of House, one issue of Powers, and back mm-hmm. and forth. Um, and uh, House, like I said, it's concerned with uh, you know creating this new status quo, <clears throat> establishing Krakoa, but it also uh climaxes in sort of the first act of the powers of 10 conflict which is the x-men doing a raid on um this uh nimrod creation base in a dyson sphere around a star or something around the other side of the sun right yeah yeah and um you you get to see how exactly this current day story arc is relevant to the big picture in a really cool way. Two more things that uh, we brought up over the course of our quick uh, conversation before we move on the five and Moira, which uh, mm-hmm. will, which one do you want to tackle first? I'll tackle the five. Cause you have more okay. <laughs> history with Moira than I do. So the five, they are the, I don't want to give too, too much away, but in order to really talk about them, they, they are five mutants that alone are, they range from okay to strong, but without purpose. <laughs> um, <laughs> the, the lowest being like gold balls. Hey, his mutant, his don't mutant, you disrespect I love, John Hickman's I love favorite Fabio. character. Fabio's gold amazing. <laughs> so, uh, so gold balls. He legitimately, up until this point, his power is that he creates about like beach ball anywhere between like basketball to beach ball size gold balls, and <laughs> his his mutant name is very on the nose. Um, and they go pock. And they yeah they go pock. Automatopia um, is always pock. Um, it's great. Turns out that those are eggs um, or they can be used as eggs another classic hickman oh this was more complicated than you thought (laughs) right uh (laughs) and so him and uh this other mutant proteus who was like never fully understood never really used well he was dead and (laughs) yeah but (laughs) um he's always he's always like He's incredibly powerful, but he I never felt like he was used beyond enemy of the week. Yeah. Well he was character. He 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 was never really I, I've only read, you know, classic Proteus story, like the the very first Proteus story arc, and then a couple ill fated, yeah, Monster of the Week issues where they revived him. And it was at a time where, you know, there wasn't that level of serialization and crossovers and stuff like that like he was written in what the 70s 80s something like that uh-huh. like at the latest 80 81 so uh he yeah he, he is um he's moira's son moira's son yeah and yes. um he was a big big deal at the time because his storyline spanned like three or four issues <laughs> and now that's that's just that's that's a short run you know that's like half a trade paperback yeah so well okay so proteus is he's like a reality warper um but he's not he he wasn't used much (laughs) yeah um but so uh he comes along and he can warp 
the inside of the egg into a basic embryo state and then um using the team using sinister because he's part of all this uh he has like raw mutant dna just like stored and ready to be used and so that gets injected into the egg um and then uh elixir who uh is amazing he's basically like he has the golden touch but like the healing golden touch um with elixir's ability on the embryo he can basically give it life and and give and make the new embryo take on the mutant dna that gets injected and then you have someone like uh tempest who has power over time and she creates little time bubbles um so she can freeze things up the embryo yeah she aged yeah she 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 uh fast ages the embryo into a fully grown person and then (laughs) um and then you have hope who her mutant ability is basically to emulate mutants around her so the the and also provide synergy right there's a sort of like uh group think sort of uh gestalt thing that happens with with uh hope yeah, so so hope helps blend the four abilities together and makes it so they all work. And then now you have re you have regeneration, recreation of dead mutants with the five. They are like and crucially um, with Cerebro. Uh, yeah, because and Cerebro has a copy of uh, the mutants like minds basically, and uh, um, and Xavier can basically insert the the last scan he had of whatever mutant they're bringing back so there's mutants arguably while still will die are are no longer dead forever (laughs) right which they've explored in past storylines with like necrotia and stuff but those are like undead zombies this is like actual resurrection with actual minds recopied And, and resurrection is status quo right like yeah in, instead of like one off like oh the the joke that oh well superhero deaths don't mean anything because they're always coming back this is written into part of the story and you have to believe and this is one of my one of the things about the krakoa uh status quo that i'm most interested in going forward is what happens when what happens to a society that doesn't include death like, how does that affect this new mutant society that they're trying to build going forward? Because this is just a, a standard part of how people live. Yeah. And now they can go on suicide missions, like to right. the other side of the, of the planet. I mean, the other side of the sun to blow up a base that creates futuristic sentinels that are built and designed strictly to kill mutants and blow up the base and not have to escape because you can just get revived later. Yeah. <laughs> so it makes for some some pretty fantastic action sequences too and at this point and i probably should have said it earlier but neither will nor i have read any, any further yes in, this continues into into dawn of x dawn of x is basically individual single issues of whatever x mutant story is coming out so like x-men excalibur marauders um uh gen x uh, uh, a handful of others that yeah. we're going to talk about later. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, so we're we're going to be uh, talking about those in another two or three weeks. So, uh, oh, yeah. that's a throw forward for you, listeners. If you uh, want to hear us talk about that, stick around. All right, I guess I'll I'll close this off by talking about Moira. Um, yeah. So, like I said before, it's revealed that Moira was a mutant all along. That her power is uh, that she gets. Uh, if she dies after her mutant powers develop, she um, is reborn and she gets to live her life over again from the start. Yeah. And it's not necessarily reborn. Right. She She just like, she keeps her memories and then she starts her life over again from the beginning. Yeah. And uh, so strange. Yeah. And so you see all of her, uh, in Powers of Ten, you see all of her sort of um, attempts, <laughs> all of her different lives, the many lives of Moira McTaggart is one of the issues is titled. And um, you get a timeline of what happened and when and how. Uh, but she also through this, you get a, a really a sense of a single character arc because she 
lives. Um, she basically lives every single aspect or side or possibility of uh, the human mutant conflict and sees, you know, uh, you know, both as, you know, joining Xavier or joining Magneto or joining Apocalypse. Um, she goes through 10, is it 10 different uh, iterations? She's on her 10th life. Because, She's on her 10th life now. Because Destiny told her on yep. her third life that she's only going to do this 10 times. 10 or 11. Needs, yeah. She needs to not live so recklessly. Yeah. Because she's only, she's going to, she only has so many that she can live. Yeah. So, <laughs> so we, we establish Moira as somebody who is very, very conscious of, of the stakes and of the um, possibilities in this conflict that she is uh, sitting in and has been for her entire character's history. So that's something. Yeah. So that's a very engaging story because again, the powers of 10 and the, the far future um, follows her, you know, life and death and, and uh, the things that, the things that she learns over time, but they keep one of her lives a mystery. Life six is conveniently blotted out of all the, Oh, this is another trope. common trope of Hicksman's is the graphs, the graphs, the charts, the maps, uh, just stunning use of uh, graphic design within comics in a way to uh, aid storytelling, just unbelievable stuff. I, I, absolutely fawn over they're in every hickman book and i fawn over it every single time it's amazing (laughs) yeah his yeah the what he asks his artists to do is always just mind-blowing and well and his background's in graphic design himself mm, so compliments his storytelling so well Mm -hmm. all right well uh anything else you want to say about house of x powers of 10 before we wrap up and move on to the next um one of the best places to start reading some x-men stuff yeah for sure yeah it's 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 not just exciting from uh, what's coming next vantage point it's also just an incredibly well-told story on its own highly it really recommend. is yeah yeah all Absolutely. right well with that let's uh let's move right along here well would you read this week what was uh, the best thing you read what was the worst what did I read this week? So last week I talked about how I was halfway through Tales of the the, the Marvel Universe. Yeah. Oh, I'm really excited um, to hear the rest of these. Well. <laughs> oh. Oh no. So um, <laughs> the the rest of them, um, maybe about half of them are. Um, maybe I think there's only like three or four that were left from that like do the hey how would superheroes deal with this real world issue that we haven't been able to jump onto yet and then the rest are all just kind of like one-off background sort of stories that aren't as interesting um however comma uh, <laughs> so we're looking at like uh nightcrawler uh during the fall of the berlin wall uh turns out this is from his time with excalibur um and he this was in a different universe when they were, when they were universe hopping okay so kind of not amazing mm-hmm. <clears throat> um, that's unfortunate yeah but what is kind of cool is in this reality the fall of the berlin wall started because sabertooth smashed through it <laughs> <laughs> okay um well I, i'm sorry i should say uh shadow cat phased him halfway through the wall oh. and then he busted it down and then you see other uh germans were like oh my gosh the wall is starting to fall oh my gosh i haven't seen you in so long let's bring the rest of the wall down so it's like okay that was kind of cool but not uh-huh. amazing um and then you have uh deadpool during the 90s comics crash 
Oh, that's good. So that was kind of cool. And so he decided he wanted to, because uh, so the comics crash, a lot of it happened because um, in the 90s, people found out that the comics from the, like the 60s and 70s are super, so we're starting to gain like market value. Sure. And so um, comics creators were like, oh, well, let's put out some variant issue covers to uh to make collector's items basically mm-hmm. and then um and so everyone was buying those up and everyone was buying up all the other issues and um one that kind of started to flood the market but then people got pissed because they realized that oh only the comics from like 50 years ago are worth money not the comics now oh. and so then everyone stopped making it and then it created this flood and so anyway point is deadpool knows about this because he's the king of fourth wall breaking yeah so um so he creates his own comic book um <laughs> and every single issue is issue one because issue ones sell better <laughs> uh, he puts uh... out <laughs> he puts out like 14 variant covers of the same <laughs> issue it's just it's a it's a whole thing and then, uh, and he only finds out because in a fight with somebody, he gets thrown into a comic book shop and he's like, oh, hey, people still buy comics. And the owner was like, yeah, it's amazing. And then it ends with him getting knocked into the same shop and the, the comic book owners, uh, the shop owner is just all sad because no one's buying anymore. Oh. And there's like, yeah, unreliable schedules, flimsy stories, all hype, no substance. I'll have to use this glow in the dark uh die cut cover to kill a rat so i can eat today it's like oh man so <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, rough out there for lcs owners man right so uh that was so that was kind of funny um and then uh they did iron man during the financial crisis of 2007 and 2008 um he has a dream where he's fighting subprime mortgage man. Um, <laughs> okay. Uh, but then I, this sounds like something I'd be very into and nobody else. It was okay. So <laughs> this is what subprime mortgage man looks like. Oh my God. It's perfect. Um, it's just, it's again, it's a dream sequence. His weapon of choice is um, housing bubbles. Um, <laughs> and he says ha as you can see they can even sneak up on you Iron Man as oh no um, oh god <laughs> it's, it's, it's bad but anyway, that's so is, dumb I love it uh, it's so, so dumb he, so he, wake up, he wakes up from this dream and uh, basically and this is actually what this issue is a lot of what I wanted from um, the Cap- Captain America Civil Rights issue. Um, and so it's Tony, basically he he was invited by big time investors to be involved in the, uh, basically be part of what caused the crash so he can make some oh. money off of it. Yeah. Um, and he was like, um, no. And he tried everything he could to make it not happen. He went and testified against the people oh, cool. um, who uh, invited him in. Yeah. Uh, and it has a bunch of flashbacks to like um, the conversations that he had there and in the courtroom. Yeah. Uh, and then it ends with him being super pissed at the guy that invited him and brought a second Iron Man suit and was like, put on the suit, let's fight. Um, but, uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, it was, and, and like, you can see the lack of remorse on the guy's face because he's just like, no one got hurt. I made money. The company's lost money, but I, but it's just the little man. Like I, right. I sort of came out on top, it's fine. So um, it was, and it was just like Tony, not, I guess, feeling powerless to mm-hmm. help the situation. Um, but at least he like did something. Like he, he, he tried, showed up to fight rather than Cap, who just kind of like, oh, I guess I failed here. Yeah, yeah. He tried. He tried a handful of. Um, things to fight it and just didn't work uh and then let's see oh and then the last one that was topical was um 
Spider Woman, and the misinformation of social media. Oh, uh, okay. And it was basically uh, this woman that looks a lot like Jessica Drew at some college uh, threw on her old costume. This is this is when mm. um, this is when Spider Woman was wearing the like biker uh, okay. outfit, and some and someone who looked a lot like her wore her. Um, old like webbed costume oh cool um and social media took off with it and was just like we know who she is her secret identity is revealed it's this woman diane from uh some college and then you know villains and hydra and people try to assassinate the student um and so jessica drew is going around trying to fight and keep everyone off of them. And then uh, she works with Ben Urich to publish a, uh, this was fake news, basically uh, mm-hmm. article, but only thousands of people read that. Whereas ten, hundreds of thousands of people read the secret right. and revealed thing. And so, and then it ends with her having to go and fight someone else because another person um, revealed themselves to be uh, spider woman. And mm. she's like, how do I fight this? <laughs> uh, <laughs> But it was just kind of, it was a fun issue. And then everything else, just the one-off stories of like Cap uh, meeting a girl who um, loved dirt bike riding and he had, he was rolling around on his bike. And so they bond Uh, Gorilla Man um, finding his identity as Gorilla Man Mm -hmm. uh, thanks to Black Panther, Uh, Spider-Man, in a revenge match against um, the wrestler that he fought when he first oh. put on the suit. Mm-hmm. Um, random ass. So, oh, Moon Knight. There was a Moon Knight one and it wasn't that great, but but uh, I loved their art and I, I wanted to show you this uh, as far as comic book layout. It's just, an, it's just another cool example of um, tracking his movement through a building absolutely um, going upstairs then all the small cells are how he yeah with each all person. these so it's kind of like a, a large you know you've got a series of large panels that that basically show the blueprints of a of a uh, building and then mm-hmm. inset panels that kind of show the uh the character's movement through that space that's awesome I really yeah, like that. really cool. Um, and they've done this before, and I sent it to you before too. But he was on like a ship um, one oh, time. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's just it's fun. Then there was like a Venom one, which wasn't that great. There was a Ghost Rider for Danny Ketch, Ghost Rider, um, and because it was not Johnny Blaze, because Johnny Blaze is currently the King of Hell, because mm-hmm. Mephisto is hanging out in Las Vegas. <laughs> um, <laughs> There was a Winter Soldier one wasn't very great. There was uh, what is this girl's name? White Fox. Okay. She is um, she is an original character from Contest of Champions, the the app, the mobile game. <laughs> okay. So, um, uh, Contest of Champions and Fe- Marvel Future Fight have gotten OKs from Marvel to create uh, original characters. Interesting. Um, and once they made those original characters, they came to six one six. Um, so White Fox, she is hat. Well, her she comes from a lineage of White Fox demon spirits. Um, mm. the original demon spirit Nine Tails Fox fell in love with a woman, and they started a whole new generation. <laughs> and so she's yeah. the last. She's the last Kumiho. Um, and then uh, Future Fight has. They're all Asian, by the way. <laughs> Every single character that they created. But uh, the three that they got from Future Fight, are, they're all members of Agents of Atlas right now. Oh, cool. Um, Marvel Strike Force just announced that they're going to create a... Um, they got the okay to make a new character. Uh, and they're going to announce that character, I think, in April. So we'll see what happens there. But anyway, um, Tales of the Marvel Universe, it's okay. I'm currently halfway <laughs> through the side story for Absolute Carnage and Ven- for Venom in the Absolute Carnage crossover right um and it's 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 great i love um actually the writers for venom have been really good um and also it 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 just 
brought back the seventh child of Venom, Sleeper. <laughs> um, okay. He has, uh, he calls it chemokinesis. He can create uh, any chemical agent, basically, from oh, his body. Okay. Um, uh, and he can, he has like a stealth mode. Those are like his like two things. <clears throat> uh, but Sleeper's cool. Of the other than Carnage, he's probably my favorite um, symbiote out of nice. that has spawned from Venom, right? Because um, there's like the Life Foundation ones, like Phage and Toxic, or mm-hmm. Phage and and Scream, and there's five, but I don't remember them all. Um, I only remember them from the that Maximum Carnage video game that we used to play as kids. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> So none of them really have an identity except for yeah. Scream now has her own um, single title. Oh. So the other four oh. are in here. Um, so those are the six. And then Sleeper is the, is the latest one. Um, nice. There's also Toxin. Toxin, I think, was born from Carnage, though. Sure. Um, and Toxin, last time I checked, he was bonded to a police officer. Okay. Um, but yeah, so halfway through this, Nice. Pretty fun. Awesome. My uh I read a lot this week. Um see the worst thing I read was probably um unfortunately uh the uh three issues of cable in which he goes to the multiverse. And it's just like why? Why is cable in the uh, not the multiverse, sorry, the uh the microverse. Oh, that's very different. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, multiverse cable you can understand. Microverse cable, why? That doesn't that there's why, no yeah. I, I I think honestly what it was is Jeff Loeb was leaving Marvel and he's like, I've always wanted to write a multiverse a microverse story, and I never did. So I might as well do it now. <laughs> I I that's the only thing I can think of. Let's see. Also in the middle was the Magneto Limited series. Uh oh, so right. this is again Joseph. Nobody knew he was a clone yet. Everyone thinks he's de-aged Magneto. Amnesiac of his uh, former life. How convenient. And uh, he basically... Uh, the So the Acolytes were recently um, attacked in space by Holocaust. The Avalon, their space station, fell to Earth. A bunch of them died, but a few of them didn't. And they're... they're uh, Exodus is gathering them all and trying to like launch something else back up into space and, and, you know, create a new Avalon. And I guess the, um, the resulting shock wave disaster or whatever is going to kill millions of people if they do this. Um, And so um, Joseph is like, I can do something about this. They'll listen to me. So he shows up and they're like, all the acolytes are like, you're Magneto. And he's like, no, I'm not. And they're like, yes, you are. And he's like, yes, I am. And they're like, no, you're not. And he's oh. like, yes, I am. They're like, no, you're not. And he's like, no, I'm not. You're right. <laughs> and that's okay. basically, that's that's essentially the entire plot. Solid. Yeah. It's a great story. <laughs> <laughs> Let's see. I also read uh, a Sabretooth and Mystique limited series. Uh, I like the art. A little too much exposition kind of made it hard to follow. They are um, involved. So they break loose of X-Factor for a little bit uh, to go on sort of a a revenge mission. And um, there's a backstory that Mystique uh, was trying to rescue Destiny you know, in the past before she died from a Hydra guy named Catalyst who made me think of you, gave me a little chuckle. His power is to uh, control this. Yeah. Uh, To control the speed of chemical reactions. Very literal for the word Catalyst. Huh. Okay. (laughs) So it's like, you know, he can like make your, you know, like uh, muscles fatigue and, you know, or, or, Oh, interesting. Yeah, um, it it was it was pretty underdeveloped, uh, but he he just made it. He he basically just used it to make people fall over. Um, <laughs> <laughs> was essentially was essentially how 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 it played out. 
in practical terms. Um, and uh, yeah, so they are uh, on this kind of harebrained mission. They're being chased by AIM as they're trying to track down this Hydra guy's research station. And then they do their mission. The guy dies. They kill Catalyst and they uh Sabretooth is like I am not going back to X Factor and Mystique is like yeah you are and so they go back to X Factor <laughs> um and, but the, the the reason was cool and actually that kind of ties in with the rest of this is um uh it's Mystique is like I know which way the wind is pointing after onslaught and all this stuff anti mutant hysteria is at an all time high like we are actually safer with X factor. We've got strength in numbers here rather than taking our chances on our own. And Creed is like, you're full of it. That's there's no way. And she's like, you're coming with me anyway. Anyway. Um, but it at least tied into the broader status quo of what's going on in Marvel right now is there in 1996, seven, yeah. as they ramp up to operation zero tolerance. Um, and uh, the, the best thing, the last thing that I read this week. Oh, oh I also read uh, a short story arc of uh, Wolverine called Once Upon a Time in Little Tokyo, um, where he goes, um, he he's trying to uh, rescue Yukio and Amiko uh, again. It's great. Like, there's just these two characters who you have a very good reason to care about because they're awesome and... Wolverine did like the real Menchie thing and in, in saving Amako when her, her mom died. He was like, I'm going to look after you. You're going to be all right. You're going to be protected through this world. Uh, but people are always, you know, trying to get at her to get at him. And so um, he, you know, just Larry Hama, the, the writer on Wolverine, he's just straight wilding. Like he does not care about like, anything else going on in the Marvel universe or, you know, he's, or like the way his title ties in with anybody else mm. or whether anybody remembers any of his dangling subplots or whether he remembers his dangling subplots and things just kind of like disappear <laughs> or like these characters. And then they're like, yeah, this is building. He's like, ah, forget about it. I love it. I, he just gets to run around and do whatever the fuck he wants. And, uh, and he writes great action sequences and uh, yeah, it wasn't particularly like meaningful or long lasting covers are fantastic. The covers on each issue are so good. Um, but it, besides that, it's, it's just uh yeah, just a fun, straightforward story. Best thing I read all week was um, the assassination of Graydon, Graydon Creed, who was uh, he's the son of uh Sabretooth mystique and uh the founder of anti-mutant hate group friends of humanity uh, decides to run for president. Um, interesting. I feel like you could do a whole lot more with that now, <laughs> yeah. uh, but it was 1996 and I, I don't, I don't really think that the, uh, that Marvel was trying to make a big point about Pat Buchanan, who was maybe the closest analog for, for 1996 times for that character. Um, didn't really seem to be where they were going with that. Um, and it, it really kind of also opened up for me all of the all of the bigots, all the racists in Marvel uh, against mutants. They're all just the the screaming, hate filled, you know, like completely irrational, like crazy types. You don't have any of the like Santa Barbara racists, for lack of a better word. <laughs> you know yeah, yeah. like the, the conversational the, racist right the ones who, them. who think that they're on the right side of things and could never imagine that they're racist it's always people who are like hell yeah i hate mutants like we want to kill them all it's just like yeah yeah i mean th- so like that's how i think about um get out mm. the first like the first mm-hmm. like half when you when you like first meet the parents yeah um they're like conversational racists. Like, uh, totally. like I would, I would have voted for Obama a third time if I could. Right. I'm like, shut, shut up. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, they're 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 not 
labeled as racist, but right. they they very much can be. And all these people who think that you have to like, I don't know, call yourself a racist to be a racist or like carry a card with you or something. Anyway, that's just a, a silly thing in, in 90s, uh, 90s X-Men comics that keeps coming up. But um, the assassination of Graydon's, Graydon Creed. So um, basically uh, Mystique manages to break free of uh, X-Factor for a little bit. And the first thing she does is track down Pyro, who's dying of the legacy virus. And she's like, all right, we're going to go kill my kid. It's time. <laughs> and uh, But it turns out that they're not trying to kill him. They're trying to save him because what would happen if they did die? It was so much worse, which is like an inverse of her role in Days of Future Past. But anyway, um, it they're they're really trying to put uh, the possibility of a genuine mystique rehabilitation uh, in on X factor right now. And like a lot of things in X factor right now, it's completely incoherent, <laughs> but this was, this was a fun story mostly because of, uh, well, they're, they're starting to set up finally like a narrative direction for the X factor book. Cause they've been like a, uh, a mutant hunting task force under the employ of the government. And everyone's like, Oh, so you're just the hounds from days of future past. They're like, no, 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 we're not that, (laughs) but we're kind of that. And it kind (laughs) of makes us uncomfortable. Uh, And, you know, now it's like a very X-Filesy sort of, you know, their mystique says to Valerie freaking Cooper, who's like the secretary of defense, there are levels of the government that you don't know about. Right. And uh, anyway, so uh, so that that has a uh, a chance to be fun. But um, the best part about it was uh, an issue of um, Uncanny X Men in which um, the assassination actually takes place, and um, or right before it actually, um, Graydon Creed is doing a rally, and somebody stands up to. Um, shout him down and say, no, you're just a hate monger. You're a racist. Get out of here. Uh, and that guy was um, Iceman's dad, who oh. in a previous issue was acting totally bigoted towards Bobby and, and Rogue when they came to visit at the start of their road trip. Um, and uh, it was a cool little redemption arc. Like, yeah, I'm still sticking up for, you know, uh I understand the stakes here now a little better. And then he has a conversation with Gambit and, uh, and he's like, why do you all do this? Why do you go out of your way and risk yourselves every day to protect people you don't even know? Like I was, I was, I was doing it for family. What are you doing? And Gambit says, yeah, we're doing it for family too. (laughs) And I thought that was really neat. And that was the best thing I read this week. Cool. I like I I as I read more, I see more why you liked Gambit so much. <laughs> I as, honestly, as <laughs> honestly, and this is a perfect segue into our, our final topic of the show. Um I was only obsessed with Gambit because my friend Elliot told me I was Gambit. We were all choosing who <laughs> we were all, you know. We all the all of the boys in Miss Dickey's third grade class, we decided or we recognized or realized that we were mutants and that we had to start training or else the Sentinels were going to come down from the San Inez Mountains behind the school and just kill us all. <laughs> and it was big secret. Hush, hush. We couldn't tell any adults, you know. Or else they might turn us in. Even our parents, you know, they might be scared for us or whatever. So we got to keep this big secret from, you know, the entire adult world. It was all consuming. It was everything. And Elliot said to me, at first you said you're Colossus because you're tall. And he was like, oh, but you're not strong. So how about Gambit? You're, you're a white guy with brown hair. I was like, cool. That's going to be my entire identity from now on. <laughs> but yeah as as a as an adult i've I've really grown to have an appreciation of gambit i think he's a 
very underrated character. I agree. So, well, yeah, uh, that was uh, just to take a step back a bit. This last segment of the show is uh, a little bit about us, our journey into fandom, how we came to uh, get into and love comics. And really that was it for me. Like started watching the X-Men animated series, uh, the Fox series in the nineties, fell in love with the X-Men. And that was, you know, what me and my friends did. That was, I guess, how we played. And it lasted the entire year of third grade. And after that, I started, um, you know, collecting cards, trading cards of the X-Men and eventually comics. Uh, what about you, Will? How did, how did it, how did it start for you? Um, I think, so it was a blend of Saturday morning cartoons. Yeah. You know, you wake up Saturday morning, you watch Spider-Man, the animated series, and you go straight mm-hmm. into X-Men, the animated series. And uh, both of those are fun. And for whatever reason, I like them so much more than Batman the Animated Series. Uh-huh. Even though I love Batman. Right. It was a great show. Mm-hmm. But something about Spider-Man and X-Men always got me. Um, actually, what kept my exposure up is hanging out with you every Saturday. Mm. Mm-hmm. Um, like, I would watch you collect all of the uh, cards. Mm-hmm. And, like, uh, how excited you got when you made, like, the the three-piece uh, panorama. Uh-huh. Um, and then all of, and then watching you collect all of the action figures. Uh-huh. Um, oh, yeah. I was big into then, the toys. You know, doing doing target practice and stuff and all <laughs> that. Like, my exposure to Marvel as a kid was through you. Mm. Um, independently, I was doing Power Rangers and yeah and transformers and we mm-hmm. were doing transformers too but like my focus was mechs <laughs> <laughs> sure um, if it had a robot i was watching it big bad beetleborgs yeah um um vr troopers even though it was an absolutely terrible show um <laughs> all that stuff i was watching that but my exposure to superheroes and comics was always uh whatever you were doing and excited about it at the time um and then I didn't really do comics myself until um, you were doing, I saw how dedicated you were uh, in collecting every single issue related to Onslaught. Yeah. And then um, I started getting jealous. <laughs> and I was like, I want something of my own. And then on the side, you told me about Age of Apocalypse. Mm-hmm. I started collecting these little uh, collector's editions with gold covers. Yeah, um, those were great. I loved Age borrowing those from you. Those were awesome. And then I discovered Thunderbolts, mm. and I just there were. I was so excited that there was this new superhero team that you didn't know. Yeah, that I could be the one. Look at what! Look at this! Look what I just got! Yeah, um, and and there the competitive side of me got me more into actual comics. <laughs> so so uh, I, I got through. I was I read the first like two volumes worth of um, Thunderbolts, but then I didn't really get super into comics until like college yeah well that's the next stage right like yeah and it was the same for me too it was like how i got into comics as a kid is very different from what kept me into comics as an adult Mm -hmm. Uh, we'll talk about that some other time but yeah and you want to you want to save it for another time yeah yeah they were going over a little bit okay sounds good (laughs) (laughs) um but that but as far as like our start into like marvel um, definitely Saturday morning cartoons and and then uh, my rivalry with you. <laughs> yeah, and and now the more that I think about it, the the trading cards was such a big thing for me. I would I would save change, right? I would go to Metro Comics and with literally dimes and nickels, and I would buy packs of uh, X Men cards 
because I just had to have the complete set because they all had, um, they all had lore on the back and I could just learn. It was the only way that I knew how to learn about history. There wasn't, you know, fan wikis then (laughs) there wasn't like, you know, Marvel unlimited back then. And this was the most concentrated and deepest dive into what came before, which was way more interesting to me than what was happening currently. I eventually, they had a little offer on the back of the packs, like send in, you know, however many dozens of packs and you'll get three free issues of, of uh, X-Men. And I didn't, it didn't occur to me that that would be the monthly issues coming out at the time. I thought they'd just like pull out of like, you know, uh, backlog or whatever. I was like, well, it's free. So sure, I'll, I'll do it. And it was, uh, it was like X-Men number 48, 49, and 50. And 50 had post and it was teasing Onslaught. And it was like, you know, it had this, it had this holographic cover. Oh, and, and I was like, oh man, I'm in, I am in it let's go <laughs> and so got my mom to uh you know i was allowed one magazine subscription um quit sports illustrated for kids cr- jumped on to x-men and uh <laughs> yeah that kept me going for quite a while yeah man those cards those fucking cards it's <laughs> really it's, it's crazy how much of an impact that had i know it's it's wild um all right well that'll about do it for this week will yeah. any, any words for the people before we go thanks for hopping in shout out to um my strike force alliance because some of them listen to this and so hell yeah hey guys uh <laughs> i can't wait to read some more stuff i'll probably have two or three more books to to read uh for the next week and oh yeah what what is what is on your on your plate for next week uh finishing venom and then ghost spider that i talked about last week i didn't get to it so she's next and then friendly neighborhood spider-man you can see in the back there cool that's next i've got reading spiders (laughs) nice well i've got um some symbiote stuff next week as well i've got uh venom versus wolverine tooth and claw three issue mini um i've got a domino mini and then i've got just a big old grab bag of you know one or two issues here or there so i might talk about the status quo of of um of the the books in in 1997 as they move towards uh away from onslaught and towards operation zero tolerance and and give Mm -hmm. a check in to all in probably nine x-men books that are being uh published monthly in 1997 <laughs> plus a quarterly plus cameos limited series it's a lot man yeah i'll bet all right thanks everybody for listening and thanks guys yep we will talk to you next week Ciao. Yeah.